Well, church family, we're gathered together again in worship, and what a joy it is to be with you wherever you are in the world. In fact, last week we had people from all over the world tune in and join us live. In fact, some of you from Italy, from Belgium, the Netherlands, Scotland, across the globe, not only joined us online live, but also asked for prayer requests. So in this moment, we want you to know wherever you are in the world, we are with you in prayer. We are with you as fellow sojourners in this life and as a church, as people who have set our compass on Jesus, as people who long to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. We are here for you, to serve you, to come alongside you, to connect you, care for you, and equip you. Well, in this season, it's an opportunity to be reminded that while so much is going on and so much is closing, our ministry as a church is actually growing tremendously. In fact, last week we had double the amount of people who typically join us on a Sunday. Our reach is getting larger. And as you can imagine, our ministry is ramping up in this season right now. And so if this is your church family, we'd love for you to continue to invest not only through your prayers, and your participation, and as you prepare your heart, but would you consider giving in a regular way? And after the service, if you go to belair.org forward slash give, you can set up recurring giving. And also, it's an opportunity as you go to that same website, belair.org forward slash give, there is an option right now for the next two weeks to give particularly towards the deacon fund. Now, the deacon fund is a fund for our members of our church family who, as they go through financial crisis, we have a leadership team in place that uh, meets with over the phone in this season or through video chat to understand the particularities of the financial need. And as you can imagine, in this moment in time, financial need is growing tremendously. And we have a need right now to serve one another, to walk with one another through this season. And our deacon fund is getting lower. So in the next two weeks, it's an opportunity for you to choose that drop-down menu to give towards the deacon fund in addition to your ongoing giving to the ministry of Bel Air Church. Now, we find ourselves in the middle of a sermon series in this Lent season. And if it's your first time joining us, welcome. My name is Drew. Uh, I came to Christ actually through this church about 20 years ago as a college student. And uh, my first Sunday as the senior pastor is coming up, Palm Sunday, six years ago. And we find ourselves the week before Palm Sunday, and we find ourselves in a passage of scripture that is the town before Bethany, before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So as we open this up to Luke 19, many of you were joining online uh, using a physical Bible in front of you. Maybe some of you have uh, a phone or a tablet to access scripture. I'm going to read for us Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. And I said it last week, I'll say it again. I'm marveling at the fact that though we planned for this sermon series months ago, and though this passage was scheduled for this Sunday, months ago, I find myself in this week with all the things unfolding, overwhelmed at God's sovereignty, humbled by the fact that God would choose through us months ago to have this be the passage of scripture to connect us right now, to care for us right now, and to equip us right now to be followers of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine a better passage of scripture on this week, on this Sunday, to share with my beloved church family than this passage. So as you listen on, as you read on, 
This is Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And we say thanks be to God because this is not only Luke's account of the historical moment in time where Jesus and Zacchaeus had this interaction, but this is inspired by the Holy Spirit for us today and it has massive relevance for what it means for us as we navigate this life. Now, this phrase is so fascinating and it struck me differently than it ever has. The fact that Jesus would see Zacchaeus up in a tree, far off, trying to be anonymous, trying to catch a glimpse of who Jesus was. Jesus looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. It's not an ask. It's not an invitation. It is a command. I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know about you, but right now at this moment in time where the world is shutting in and many things are closing down, uh, there are a lot of companies, uh, a lot of products, a lot of services that are yelling out to me through my email, through text, uh, through uh, spam phone calls saying, I must come to your house today. I mean, I'm receiving emails from every single company, it seems like, I've ever bought something from. Uh, companies, I don't even know what they do. I don't remember what I bought from them. Somehow they have my email. And it is, hurry, there's a sale. We want to come into your house. Uh, we want you to support us as a business. And there's this moment in time where you, like me, likely, are wondering as you are at home, in your houses, your condos, your apartments, whether it's alone or with others, what do you allow in your house? And that's a great question for us today. For me, for you, wherever you are in the world, to ask this one question today. What do you allow into your house to give you a peace that you're longing for, a joy that you're longing for, a security that you're longing for? But before we answer that question, let's go back to the story, and I want to introduce you to who Zacchaeus is, a little backstory to his life, and what Luke reveals here, who Jesus is, and how profound that is for us today. So we meet Zacchaeus, who in verse 2 says, according to Luke, is a chief tax collector. Nowhere else in the New Testament is that phrase used, chief tax collector. Now, this is a Jewish man 
for him to be a tax collector means he works for the imperial Roman government that has now come in, and if you know about that point in human history, Rome has come in and Caesar is Lord, Caesar is King, Caesar is the one that tells you how to live and how to conduct your life. And they completely ravaged these uh, citizens through heavy taxation. And so you have this man Zacchaeus, who, Jewish by birth, in some ways has betrayed his fellow countrymen, has now given his allegiance to uh, the imperial uh, nation state, and isn't just a tax collector, but is a chief tax collector. He's a big dog, extorting his fellow humanity. He is considered an outsider socially. Uh, he isn't just small physically in stature. He is small spiritually in stature, according to the Jewish people. Even more than that, it says, Luke reminds us in the end of verse 2, that he was rich. Now, if you have been reading along, let's say, or if you know the chronological uh, unfolding of the gospel according to Luke, you'll know that back in Luke 18, just a chapter before, Jesus says a very famous statement. Many of you have heard of this. It's in Luke 18, 25. Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now that's a sermon for another day, but that has just been said by Jesus. And now here you have a man who's considered to be a chief sinner, uh, a chief traitor, uh, an outsider, a reject, someone who's unclean, and they're completely wealthy in such a way that you would look at them and say, Jesus would want nothing to do with them. And yet this man was trying to, verse 3, trying to see who Jesus was. There's a lot of people right now, for the first time in their life, trying to see who Jesus is. There's people tuning in today. Maybe this is your first time in church. Well, welcome to church, a little different than normal, but maybe today in this moment you've run out of options in your life. Maybe you've lost your job, you've lost uh, a dream, maybe you've lost a loved one, and you're wondering... Can I get a glimpse of who Jesus is? Well, what's fascinating is Zacchaeus actually has to, because of the crowd, climb up a tree to get a glimpse of this Jesus. Though he has wealth, he's considered an outsider, and so he can't pay his way to the front of the line. He can't use his status to get beyond the crowds, to get to Jesus, to have a conversation. He anonymously climbs up just to get a view over the crowds of who Jesus is. And what's so remarkable in verse 5, even though he was anonymous, even though he was a chief sinner, even though he was on the outs, even though he was rich, Jesus notices him and he stops. And he looks up at this man that the rest of the world had rejected, the rest of the world had pushed aside, that anonymously was just trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. What an amazing truth that Jesus has this ability, even when you feel like you're anonymous, even when you feel like you're an outsider, even if you feel like all the cards are stacked up against you, he has an ability to cut through all the crowds and to see you, to see deep inside of who you actually are, 
as somebody made in the image of God in desperate need of help, in desperate need of hope, in desperate need of peace, who calls you by name and says, hurry, come down out of anonymity. I must stay at your house today. Right now, this word isn't just a story about something 2,000 years ago. This is a word that I pray the Holy Spirit would use to speak a truth that Jesus, I believe, right now wants to speak to you wherever you are in this city, in this nation, around the globe, no matter what you're going through spiritually, no matter what you're going through financially, no matter what people think of you, no matter what kind of religious background you have, there is a loving God who has come in the flesh. His name is Jesus, who didn't just live back then, but defeated death, rose from the grave. Scripture says is right now at the right hand of the Father, who is alive and active, who is looking at you, calling you by name, and is saying, hurry, right here, right now, come down out of that place of being on the outside, the outskirts. I must stay at your house today. And that invitation isn't just for Zacchaeus, it's for you. Well, here's how Zacchaeus responded. Verse 6. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. He wasn't timid. He didn't ease into it. He didn't put it off for another day, another week. He didn't say, oh, I'll take care of this later. He hurried down out of the tree. When you are rushing down out of a tree, there's risk of falling. There's risk of ending up on your head. He did not care. He rushed down out of that tree. And what's so remarkable, even though it says he was happy to welcome him, in the Greek, the language of the New Testament, it uses this beautiful Greek word, charis, which means joyful. It's literally saying that he rejoiced as he welcomed him. This transcends circumstances. It transcends whatever's going on. You see, joy is extraordinarily beyond happiness, which could be based on circumstances. He receives Jesus with absolute joy, forgetting everything. And of course, people are grumbling. They say he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And what's so remarkable in that moment is Zacchaeus stands there and says, Lord, look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. He goes right to a works-based faith. You see, he has come to believe that he can earn salvation. He can pay for salvation. He can uh, kind of win the right to get loved by God in return. But you need to understand that actually all the things in his life that were bad deeds and all the good deeds that he was promising were actually together things that made him lost. In a moment, Jesus responds, regardless of how he's lived or regardless of the promises of good deeds, he responds in such a way that reminds him and reminds all of us that no matter what our past, whether good or bad, no matter what our promises for God for the future, Jesus comes and it is the presence of Jesus that brings peace, hope, and salvation and a new identity to Zacchaeus and to us today because here's how Jesus responds. He says in verse 9, Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. What a remarkable statement. 
He doesn't say, well, salvation will come after you pay back half. Salvation will come after you pay back four times as much. Salvation will come one day if you finally earn it when you're at the pearly gates and St. Peter will be there and look you in the eye and say, let me see what you did with your life. And there's a ledger and you made it in. No, he says right now, today, in this moment, not a future state, right here, right now, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come because salvation is Jesus in the flesh, embracing us. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the moment you, like Zacchaeus, welcome him into your home, into your life, into your heart, into your mind, joyfully, right now salvation comes to you. Some of you have perhaps bought into the misconception that Christianity or a faith that follows Jesus is about doing more good deeds than bad deeds. That's not it at all. Or maybe some of you are here today because you're fearful that maybe the bad deeds that you've done, you somehow have to make up for in case something happens in the future. That's, that's wrong as well. Jesus says, through faith and trust in me, through a relationship with me, Jesus says, salvation can come. In fact, he goes on, he says this, in verse 10, for the Son of Man... Remember that phrase, I'll come back to it. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. That's a key phrase there. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, man, you're lost. In all the ways that you've betrayed others through your profession, you're lost. Through all the ways in which you've promised that you'll measure up in the future, you're lost. But I've come, Jesus says, to seek out, to initiate, to pursue, to run after, and to save the lost. You know that phrase, the Son of Man, is used three times in the Gospel according to Luke. It's one of my favorite phrases, and for many of you who have been up on our campus, you know of our Parable Coffee Lab, and if you haven't visited our campus, I'm looking forward to welcoming you back to our campus someday. But one of the three statements that Jesus uh, makes about himself is this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. In addition to this phrase, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. In addition to the phrase, the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. You see, that's what he came to do, but he did it while he was eating and drinking. In fact, the majority of Jesus' teaching, the majority of uh, his miracles happened over a meal. And it's coming up, Monday, Thursday, which happens to be the Thursday before Easter. We're going to do something very different because we can't gather on our campus and do a big community uh, multi-hundreds person meal together on this campus. We're going to go even bigger. In fact, we want to do a citywide and a nationwide and a worldwide meal on Monday, Thursday, and you're invited. We'll give more information as the days and weeks unfold, but a reminder that you can go right now to belair.org forward slash worldwide meal, and you can find out some information about how you can be a part of that global gathering. Wherever you are, you can do it alone at home, but knowing that you're not alone.
There's going to be a way where we're going to come together as fellow humanity. We're going to share a meal together at the feet of Jesus. But that phrase, son of man, actually has its origins all the way back in the Old Testament. Psalm 80, for example, talks about this remarkable son of man that's going to come, who is at the right hand of God. In the book of Ezekiel, 93 times the label son of man is used for the prophet Ezekiel. But then in Daniel, the book right after Ezekiel, we get a bigger picture of this future son of man who will come, a greater Ezekiel, a greater prophet. I want to read this to you. I find it so significant for this moment as uh, world events are unfolding. What a great reminder of our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords who is unshakable, unstoppable, who this Son of Man phrase points to something that is far beyond our comprehension. And this is found in Daniel 7 in verse 9 and following. In fact, this is a dream that Daniel has, a vision that Daniel has of this reality that really just transcends human time, if I can say it that way. He says this. This is Daniel 7, verse 9. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And then in verse 13, Then I saw one like a human being, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one, and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory, and kingship, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. He is like one who is a son of man. So there's this vision that Daniel has of the ancient one. This is God the Father on this throne in this matchless place, and one like a human being coming down out of heaven like the Son of Man, who it says about this one, to him would be given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, all nations, and all languages, the whole planet would serve him. His dominion, remember this, is an everlasting dominion. His dominion, remember this, shall not pass away. His dominion and his kingship, remember this, shall never be destroyed. That one came to Zacchaeus and says, hurry, I must come to your house today. That one who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, whose dominion and kingship shall never end, comes to you right now and speaks to you in this moment by name and says, hurry, I must come to your house today. So as so many things are clamoring for your attention to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you hope, to give you security, would you hear the voice of the one who made you? Who knows you better than you know yourself? Who knows you better than any company can know you through all their data that they have on your spending profile? 
loves you so much that he would run after you. That in this moment, you're not alone in your home. That in this moment, he's running after you, having already defeated death, having already risen from the grave, having already been sent to the right hand of the Father when you receive him with joy. In that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit. You see, that's even more than Zacchaeus. He said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come. He can say to you today, salvation has come and my spirit now is going to dwell in you to give you a courage, a peace, and a joy that can't be touched, that can't be shaken. Receive him with joy. What a great reminder, whether it's our first time or it's our thousandth time, that Jesus looks at us, every single one of us, and says today, I must come, I must come into your home. Let's pray. Jesus, I am blown away that you know us by name, that you see us even if we feel unseen, that you call us by name, and you don't invite, you don't suggest, you out of love admonish us to allow us to open up our lives to you. So Jesus, for anybody here in this moment who has never welcomed you into their life, would they do so right now with joy? Would they look at you, Jesus, in their heart and in faith and say, Jesus, I welcome you. Come into my life. Rescue me. I've been lost without you. And would you remind them of what you tell us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if they confess you as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised you, Jesus, from the grave, then they will be saved. That they'll never be put to shame. And Jesus, for so many of us who have said yes to you already, would we invite you into our homes right now? to reorient us to what really matters? Would you reorient us to who we are? Would we pray in this moment, Jesus, give us a vision for what you're doing right now. Help us to see where your kingdom is marching forward. And would we boldly follow you into this certain future that you see as we walk by faith? Jesus, we love you. You are worthy of our worship. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.